Apostles' Creed is what we're saying tonight as our confession of faith, so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to say this along with me. Let's say what we believe using this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Scripture reading for tonight is Romans chapter 8. My intention was to do the first five verses of Romans 8, but then about halfway through the week, I realized that I wanted to do something different. And as you see it up here, we're going to look at just a single verse, Romans 8.1. So I'm going to ask if you are able, if you would stand now for the reading of God's word. It is not a long uh, reading, and so don't worry, you're not going to get tired. If you would listen to these words from the scripture that we have from God. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask it and pray it in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can go ahead and be seated. And I'm realizing now that I've forgotten to say a very crucial thing, and that is happy Mother's Day, moms. You've heard it from others in the service so far, but haven't heard it from me yet. Um, I want to wish you all a happy Mother's Day and let you know, I think Kevin said it in his prayer about just how beautiful it is that God uses mothers in the lives of so many of us to be a faithful, abiding presence. I know that's the case with my mom, and I know it's the case for many of you thinking about your mothers or even if you're a mother yourself, um, hearing that from your children. So thank you and celebrate you today. So, our text, there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am not in the habit of just preaching a single verse from the scripture, I usually want to take a bigger sort of chunk of text and be able to get some context and sort of see how the words work together. But in my study this week, I just fell more and more in love with the simplicity of this therefore statement. And I know I'm not alone. Many people will say that this is their favorite verse in the whole Bible, which I think I'm understanding more of after my study this week. I, I love just this simple statement of fact, and especially because it comes on the heels of such nuanced, complicated reflection that's happened all throughout Romans 1 through 7. So in case you don't remember, we've seen a lot of really nitty-gritty stuff in the chapters leading up to this. 
a lot of deep reflection on things like creation and the fall, things like the law of God and what it's meant for and yet how it's misused and what it can do and can't do and all the objections and confusions and potential questions that could come out of that. That's what we've been dealing with with seven chapters in this letter to the Romans. And it's almost like we get to chapter eight here and Paul says, okay, we're exhausted. We've been going through all this deep reflection on the nitty gritty details. Let's take a big breath and say, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it all boils down to. All that we've been talking about, all that we've been just digging deep into, it all comes to this summary statement. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does no condemnation mean? For believers, well, that's going to be our job today. That's what we're going to unpack and try to learn together. And what I have for us are three um, uh, observations, maybe you could say, but really they're sort of three aspects of what no condemnation means. But I said this up in paradise this morning. These aren't supposed to be competing uh, definitions of no condemnation as if I'm going to give you three options and then we choose the best one. No, this is complementary These definitions of no condemnation, they actually build upon one another. We're going to start with the most foundational sort of ground level uh, understanding of what it means. And by the end, we're actually going to get to one that I think is unique to us living in the year 2022 in the United States of America. But I'll save that for the end. For now, we're going to start with the the first aspect of no condemnation, which I said is the foundational sort of base level one. And it's this. There is a day coming when King Jesus will return in all of his glory. And we're told repeatedly in the Old Testament and the New that he will come and judge the earth in righteousness. All of creation will answer to him. But in particular, men and women created in the image of God, i.e. you and me, and every human being that's lived before us will live after us will all stand before the throne of Christ and give account of their life. They'll answer for how they've lived. That means the things that they've done. Every idle word, every impure thought, every petty grievance or grudge that we've held on to, every broken promise, All of it will give account to King Jesus for. We'll also give account for the things that we haven't done, which might even be more (laughs) terrifying than the things that we have. The times that we promised somebody we would pray for them and didn't or forgot. The times that we saw someone in need and we chose leisure instead of love and compassion. You remember Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he's actually describing the judgment day. We usually know it as the separation of the sheep from the goats. But in that teaching, he tells us that one of the things that he'll call people out on is the times when he needed help and they refused to help him. And they'll respond to him and say, Lord, when did we refuse you help? If we would have known you were there and needed help, we would have done it. And he says, 
I was the beggar that came to you and told you I needed assistance. I was the person that knocked on your door and said I needed shelter, and you turned me away. So all humanity will stand before the throne of Christ and give account for what they've done and what they haven't done. And as that long litany of brokenness and sin and cold-heartedness is being exposed and revealed, I think it will dawn on us in that moment. Maybe in the first time of our whole existence, it will dawn on us that if we have done these things that are being exposed, there is only one fate for us, only one just fate, eternal separation from God, removal from his presence. Hell. We'll realize it then. It won't be a philosophical question about God's justice at that point. We'll get it. And yet, as that reality is dawning on us, as we are bracing ourselves to hear the righteous judgment of God saying that we deserve hell, we will hear something else instead. Somehow, some way, we'll hear a word that is totally different than what we were expecting. A word so out of keeping with all the brokenness and sin and yuck in my life. And yet a word coming from God, the Father himself, when he says, not guilty. No condemnation. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. That's what no condemnation for those who are in Christ means. I have one slide today, so not a hard workout for you, Jess, but if you uh, could throw it up, the next one, uh, in by one slide, I just mean one, like, oh my goodness, I did not give you the zip drive before church, did I? Oh boy. Okay. So I'm going to summarize what's on that slide for you guys. Man, one, I had one job. <laughs> okay, so here's, imagine there was this beautiful slide, that, like the most artistic, beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. This actually, you know what, this is, this is a, a Mother's Day gift from my mom because like Teresa said earlier, she usually watches on YouTube and she never gets to see what's on the slides. I wanna say, look up here. So I'm just saying we're all in solidarity with my mother tonight. Happy Mother's Day, mom. It, it was by design, by design, totally meant it. So this slide I was gonna have is the Westminster um, Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Confession of Faith is one of the documents that we have that kind of helps us verbalize what our sort of theological approach is here at church. And the catechism is a series of questions and answers that help people learn and remember some of like these theological topics or ideas. And so the 38th question of the shorter catechism talks about that great day of resurrection. And it asks this, it says, what benefits do believers receive on the day of resurrection? And the answer is that on the great day of resurrection, believers in Jesus Christ will be openly acknowledged and acquitted before him on the day of judgment. 
And then there's one last clause that I'm going to mess up, but it talks about sharing and the blessed joy of being with him for all eternity. The part, though, on the slide that I had underlined and bolded was the language openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment. That is no condemnation. How is that possible? Did God the Father not hear when all of my sin and brokenness and yuck was exposed to the whole world? Did he not hear that? Oh no, he heard it. But he also heard something else. He heard the words of God the Son, Jesus, on the cross say, it is finished. It is paid for. Because of my atoning death, Jesus says, people who believe in me in faith can have their sins forgiven and made clean. So that if, if you are in Christ, remember our, our passage today said, for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you believe in him, if you've embraced him in faith, when you stand before the great judgment seat, Jesus gives you the verdict that belongs to him. Not a verdict of guilty, but a verdict of no condemnation. A verdict of your sins have been cleansed. Your life has been washed. Your debt has been paid for in me, Jesus Christ says. That's the first understanding of no condemnation that's going to kind of be at the, the bottom of our pyramid, the foundation of it. Like I told you, though, I have two more kind of aspects of this. So let's go to the second one, and it's this. When you stand before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on that great day of judgment, and you have your sins forgiven, like we just talked about in Christ, it will not be done through an act of scolding you or berating you or disapprovingly wagging of the finger at all that you've done wrong. I'm saying that because in my conversation with people over the years, I feel like sometimes there's this perspective that, yes, God's going to forgive me. God has forgiven me already. Yes, he'll welcome me in to eternal life and joy with him, but he will do it through a clenched jaw and a disapproving gaze. He'll let me in by the skin of my teeth. But he'll make it very well known that he doesn't really like me being there. No condemnation doesn't jive with that, though. Because no condemnation means exactly that. That when God welcomes us, he does so with his fatherly delight and affection, not through begrudging acceptance, not through a disappointed look saying, ah, I guess Jesus paid your debt, come on in. I sadly um, have a, a, an example of how this could play out in a bad way. Uh, from back in Georgia, I knew of a, a family situation where there was a, a, a father, a very wealthy father, 
um, and his adult son who had made some very, very unwise choices throughout his life and got in a desperate financial situation. Um, like ruin kind of situation. And so the father, very generously, I might add, decided that he was going to help out his son and bail him out, pay for his debts and get him out of this place of such a desperate financial ruin situation. Yet there was a condition that came with the help. The condition was that as the father was writing the check to help his son, his son had to sit there across from his desk and listen to dad berate him and rehearse every single way that he had disappointed him over the years and be told that he was an embarrassment to the family. And as the check was handed over, it was made very clear that, yes, the dad was bailing his son out, but he would forever look at his son with embarrassment and shame and disappointment. Is that how God will treat you on that day of judgment? I'm asking you a question. Tell me. Say it emphatically. No. Not a chance. Because he's told you in his word that what happens on that day is no condemnation. So that, that example that I just gave you, yes, the father generously paid his son's debts. He forgave them. He rescued them. There's a little bit of gospel element in there. However, there was a lot of condemnation that came with it, a lifetime of condemnation. And that's precisely the thing that this word is telling us will not happen on that great and final day. That not only has your debt been paid for, you've been forgiven in Christ, but God the Father welcomes you in with delight and affection. And I think I said these words already. But Jesus actually tells us what we'll hear on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not embarrassment over us or disappointment. Well done, my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Listen, if I had that incredible slide, that, you, that legendary slide that you've heard myths and legends about up here on the screen, I would point out to you that that language that I had bolded and highlighted, it was that on the final day we are openly acknowledged and acquitted. That part that says openly acknowledged, I absolutely love it because it reminds me of a dad that's so proud of his child, like he tells everybody. Like, yo, Joe, down the street, did you hear what my son did? He won the second grade spelling bee. Isn't that incredible? You know, he tells his coworkers, he tells the neighbors, he tells the mailman, because he's so proud and delighting in his child. And when the, the, the catechism question says that on that last day, God will openly acknowledge us, what that means to me is that he's showing us off to all creation. You far distant galaxies and stars, the angels in the heavens, the demons down below, listen up, this is my child. I died for him or her. I love them. They're mine. You're openly acknowledged. 
that's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Final reflection on what this means. Number three, this is the one that I mentioned earlier might be special to us as people living in this day and age. Um, I think no condemnation here in the word pushes back on an element of our society that many of us are very familiar with at this point. No condemnation means that God the Father and his family and his kingdom gives us a place of safety, compassion, and welcome. Contrast that now to the society we live in, which has become hyper-judgmental, hyper-scrutinizing of every word or non-word or action or non-action, ready to condemn immediately without a second thought. You know, 30, 40 years ago, people were so worried about this uh, atmosphere of moral relativism that they were so afraid that in the future there would be no moral judgments at all. No one would ever say this is right or wrong. No one would ever be able to label something good or bad or evil or righteous. That was the fear. That was the worry. But in fact, the opposite has happened in our society. We've become uh, like a moral judgment on steroids society. Where everything is immediately condemned is either on the right side or the wrong side. I, I, I hope you guys know a little bit of what I'm talking about. If you have an opinion that's outside of sort of the majority opinion and you share that, no longer will it be critiqued or challenged or debated. It will be condemned swiftly and immediately without discussion. And if somebody doesn't condemn it swiftly, immediately, and without discussion, they're on the chopping block too. Everything you say or everything you don't say, it doesn't matter the reason that is given. It is scrutinized with no charity and said to be an indicator of whether you're on the side of the angels or the side of the devil. And even, uh, this is the craziest part of it all, even if you try to play the game, even if you try to be a person that in public uh, espouses all the, the, the correct opinions of the moment, uses the right words and terminology of the moment, so that you say, okay, if I just play the game right, the outrage mob will never come for me, you're going to learn that one of these days, the outrage mob comes for everybody. Because there's just too many minds in the minefield. You can't avoid all of them. Eventually, you're going to make a mistake, and eventually the condemnation will come down fast and hard. Now, I know some of y'all are rolling your eyes, and you're like, this is just a boomer talking about cancel culture. <laughs> First off, I'm not a boomer, okay? <laughs> I'll have you know that I am technically, according to Wikipedia, a millennial. By the skin of my teeth, I got in, guys. 1983. But really, my point is not to give my uh, critique or thoughts about cancel culture. The, the reality is, I think, like most everything in life, there's some good about it and there's some terrible about it. 
My point today is to say that all of us, I think, are familiar in some sense that we are living in a hyper-judgmental society. And even if you just have a little bit of, of your life in the public realm, you know what it means to walk on eggshells constantly, knowing that condemnation or the threat of condemnation is around every corner. That's the society we live in. That's the air we breathe. That's the world our kids are growing up in. And that is the world that God is speaking to in Romans 8.1 when he says, in my kingdom, in Christ, there is no condemnation. I think that word for those of us in 2022 might be just a balm to a weary soul. Peace to anxious hearts that know the pressure of walking through this life constantly on eggshells about what I might say wrong or do wrong or what if I didn't speak into this at the right time or in the right way. For God to say, my judgment is no condemnation. That brings rest to my soul. That he knows everything about me and everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet, instead of rejecting you because of it, he says, come here with me. There's safety. With me, there's welcome. With me, there's compassion and patience and long-suffering. That's what you find with me, God says. And just, I hope you don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that God's no condemnation is praising us for the wrong things that we do or, or just shrugging it off of who cares. No. I hope you heard me earlier talking about the day of judgment. It will be a sobering moment to have all of the yuck of our life exposed and revealed. God is not letting that off the hook, so to speak. However, he's not canceling you because of it. He's welcoming you in. Delighting in you and saying, you're my beloved child, and with me, there's no condemnation. I was, I've told the folks up in paradise today, I was afraid to uh, share this point because I just, you know, just so much uh, potential for misunderstanding or to trigger folks on either side of the issue. So I really hope that you don't hear what I'm not saying and you don't hear this as me trying to give an expert opinion about like our culture and, and, and the way that it works with social media and whatnot. I'm, I don't even have a Twitter account, so I'm no expert. All I'm trying to do is to point out to you that in a world, in a society where condemnation is around every corner, this word that God gives us speaks acutely into that. And, you know, as crazy as it seems, like the Puritans of old or the Reformers, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they love this scripture too, and yet they probably didn't feel the peace and the relief of it in the way that you can in the year 2022. You're seeing a new way that God's word is speaking life and challenging the culture and saying, I'm different. It doesn't have to be like this. 
And I think that's pretty cool. And you know, 50 years from now, our grandchildren will be seeing a new element to these words of God, ministering to them in the year 2072 and whatever the heck's going on then. It's probably going to be pretty weird. But to that, God will still be saying, in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you let us glimpse the pronouncement we'll hear in the future. That great and glorious day when we'll hear those words that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Thank you for letting us just anticipate that, to see it, and to know that that's coming. Lord God, thank you, and let us revel in that and celebrate it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.